It's working. <laughs> Keith Patient, hi chap. Dear Ramsey, Eden, Ayn Price, Darren Wells, Tussle De Martini, Derek Stefanski, Matt Kilworth, hello, Gabriella Silva, Phil Collins, hi fish, good afternoon, eh? That's, that's not the real Phil, is it? Uh, Henry Giles, good evening. Dave Richardson, wow, are you right? Yes, yes. Welt Schmelz. Yes. I've managed to get it the right way around, but it's like, for some reason, I can't. Can I see myself? Yeah, I can. So I can't see myself with the camera, which is kind of a bit weird. So um, I'm used to kind of seeing myself. <clears throat> it's our dinner time. Mm. Number 14, I think this is. 14. That's like, you know, that's like a tour. An hour and 45 minutes. 14 shows. Pretty good going. As David said, David Barris, Daffy Dill, um, David Barris said, you know, how, uh, you know, what are you going to talk about? And it's like, he said, I don't know how you managed to come through so many shows, right? And still manage to keep it going. And uh, I was thinking that the same today, and then I was, I was going through the questions that we sent in, and I pulled questions off last week and mishmashed them about. And I was like writing down all the bits and pieces and yeah, there's enough stories to keep me going for at least another six weeks, I reckon. You know? so. <clears throat> Laura Maricopia, good evening, God knows. Hello, Gordon. Manchester. Mike Freeburn, of course. God knows Mike Freeburn, always together. Um, where does that? Keep the sun cream on. I'm not bad. I've actually not been out that much um, this last week. It's, uh, I've been, my favourite word is hecticated. And that's when everything's just coming at me. And you know me and you know tech. And uh, oh, some of the stuff this week's just been, my brain was hurting. Uh, the album's all done. Um, it's all mastered, the CDs are all mastered, um, the vinyl is gone, to, it's a way across to check on now. Somebody was asking, and obviously I've got a couple of questions on this. Michael Van Rienen, why on earth do you not have the lacquers made at the pressing plant? Because these masters are done alchemy, um, and it's a company called Alchemy. Uh, and Barry Grint, uh, Barry Grint is the man who is basically the master engineer. We've elected to go for a mastering lab in London called Alchemy because they're top notch, absolutely top notch. And they also do this thing which is called half speed mastering. And half speed mastering does not occur in, in every kind of place, right? And we went to Alchemy because they offer half-speed mastering. It was recommended by Callum Malcolm, who's the producer, who is the wizard. And I will always bow down to the wizard. And basically, we cut the album at half-speed. And that means that the sound quality is far superior. It's because you're actually cutting the whole thing at half-speed. There's more information. I don't have to go into all the technical things. I won't. <laughs> but... Um, it's a far better quality, so they make the lacquer there and the lacquer goes across the GZ. That is why 
it's been cut alchemy so that we can stay in control of the mastering. We get test pressings sent across, hopefully this week, which means next Fish and Friday, I actually might be able to play you something on vinyl, which is going to be playing Veltschen up to vinyl. Now that is going to be the occasion, and maybe we have to move across some Erdinger on that, that one, that particular one. So the vinyl's away. Um, Mark has got the, the artwork all kind of sorted out um, for the vinyl, and we're now uh, one and a half weeks off delivering everything else, um, which means I've been, I was going to change it, Chocolate Frog Productions, as I think I've said before, Blue Ass Fly Productions, because it's like, that's what I've been running about like, I've not been, I've been hardly out in the garden, uh, I've just been trapped in here, and the, the sleeve notes, I've been getting on with them, remember the sleeve notes, you know, I've been getting on with them, and Mark asked for two and a half to three thousand words, I am now clocking six thousand words, um, but Mark thankfully said he can use it. Um, it's a huge book, the deluxe edition comes with the hardback book, similar to Feast of Consequences in the slipcase, but in the hardback book it's bigger than the Feast of Consequences one. And when we took it on, Mark thought it would be, it'd be relatively easy to fill, and he's been really pushing it, and the content that he's got is marvellous, it's brilliant, amazing stuff. And um, certainly Trump there, yeah. tremendous, wonderful, beautiful people. And um, it's wonderful, it's truly wonderful. And, um, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of pages to fill, and when originally he said for 3,000, I was panicking a little bit because I went, there's no way I can cover what is basically 215, because when you look at it, the original idea for Veltschmerz was 15, and although we didn't really start till 2017, there was a lot of things happened that kind of fell into the Veltschmerz universe that have to be kind of brought up. So, um, I started writing and went over 3,000 and I phoned Mark up this week and I said, it's going to be bigger, you know me, I can never write a biog, I can never write anything, I would make a terrible professional journalist, I need to be given like, oh, write a thousand words, I'll, I, can, I just write, you know, I just, I love writing. So we're up to 6,000 words and this afternoon, 45 minutes before I came on air here, I was, um, uh, I was into 2019, so I'm in, I'm just about to start recording the album, so I've gone, I've, I've covered those years, it's great, but it's, uh, it, it works well, and we've worked out a way to kind of put this, to hang this with the books, it's not just one big slab of writing, it's like, mixed up with some of char the charcoal drawings that Mark's done, and the original airbrush work that he's done, and um, as I speak, Mark is way down Nayland, Colchester way, and he's putting together the airbrush of the very last image for the hardback book, for the deluxe version. And I've never seen it. It's going to be delivered to me uh, this weekend, I think. And I've been told it's a surprise. He said he hopes it's a pleasant surprise. And from what he's told me, I think it's going to be a perfect ender for the, a perfect end image for the, for the book. And, um, as I said, I mean, Mark's now got about another week and a bit to, to get all of that together, to put all the hard book, book page, but we've also got all the technical aspects to be done. We've done all the metadata for all the songs and all the publishing and da da da. 
now it's like moving into like all the bump that's got to go on the sleeve and Avril and Andy have pretty much finished the five to one mix. I heard, I was listening to that on Saturday night, we moved all the furniture around again and set the five to one up and had a lovely time. And it sounds fantastic and I'm really happy with it. And Avril and Andy said, oh, well, there'll be the two versions going on to the album. And I'm going, what do you mean two versions? I'm thinking one five to one version. But seemingly what we're doing is we've, we've got the standard five to one that plays on the Dolby surround, which is kind of when you go on the Blu-ray, that's how it plays, Dolby surround system. And we're also, we should know for definite on Tuesday, but we're putting both the, the five to one in the standard kind of Dolby vibe and we've got the uncompressed, uh, the uncompressed big file, which is um, the Van Davidozzi one. <coughs> but the problem at the moment is it's a double-sided Blu-ray disc, which means it takes a lot of information. But we were anticipating one five to one, so now there's a two, and one of them is about four to five gigabyte. Are your eyes clouding over and misting like mine did three, four days ago? And um, so we've got the big five to one files, and the, the documentary with Will Smith that I saw that David Barris and Scott Mackay put together, I saw that um, on Tuesday and that's brilliant. It works really, really well and I was slightly concerned because Will was down in London, I was up here, we're shooting Will on the TV, shooting me here <coughs> and all the audio conflagrations and uh, video conflagrations, Dave and Scott put that together and it works great. I've seen the making of Velchmer's video, which is wonderful, it's really funny, and um, so that's all ticked off. Um, the live material from 2018 that Steve Vances has mixed, I've heard bits of it, I've got to okay that this weekend, but I've heard most of it and it sounded great. So there's the four songs that we played on the Clutch and Stroke Parley tour including the one with David Jackson Norwich that I think I told, about, I told you about before. So the four live songs, there's the four uh, promotion videos, which is Man of the Stick, um, Veltschwertz, Garden Remembrance, and This Party's Over, which Miles Scarron is putting together as we speak. I'm hoping to get to that next week. And once we have that, there's the four promo videos, there's the interview with Will Smith, we've got the five to ones and whatever formats, We've had a conflict with frames and things on the, the, the different videos because David Lamb, who did the, the Garden of Remembrance clip, um, has put together an absolutely beautiful making of documentary which will bring a tear to your eye when you see it. The Garden of Remembrance video is very, very special. I'm going to play the, the track uh, later on. But the, the video is just absolutely beautiful. And the clip, the, the, the documentary, which is about 20 minutes long, which is about the, the making of Garner Remembrance, and you see how David Lamb and Hannah Wilkinson, who both directed and, and uh, produced the, the, the Garner Remembrance clip, they've done an amazing job putting this together, and it will really blow you away when you see it. Uh, I sent it down to my press guy, William, and... Um, he loves it, thinks it's brilliant. Everybody's saying this, this all works. Uh, Amanda, my new um, uh, radio promotions and TV person, she's looking forward to dealing with this. I, th I think we've got, we've got a good chance to get some radio clips, but 
as I said, to go back to the Blu-ray, we've got you know the, the, the making of the Elchimerts, the making of Garden of Remembrance. Uh, we've got the live songs, we've got the factor ones. I mean, it's crammed. And at the moment, we're kind of trying to work out just to make sure that everything fits on, all the files work correctly, da-da-da, and all that, the menus and things. It's all the technical stuff. And, you know, and then amongst all that this week, I've been getting phone calls about, yeah, from agents and promoters about the tour. And I still don't know what's happening. Um, I've got no idea. Nobody is telling us anything apart from it's most probably not going to happen, it won't happen, but we can't say for definite. And as always, the same as in March, we're left in complete limbo. You know, I had people, we had, we had people writing in going like, you know, what's happening with the dates? And I don't know. Um, I will say that my German agent is already looking at booking alternative dates for the October-November tour. And they are going to be happening next year, but it's going to be late in the year because, as you'd expect, everybody is basically trying to get gigs and trying to get venues. So you've got the bands that have cancelled or been postponed or whatever, or the, or the entire COVID logjam is trying to unleash next year at a point that nobody knows when it's going to be correct and allowable. Yeah, to move. I mean, you know, just for example, I mean, we have the UK government turning around uh, this week and saying um, all theatres and concert halls uh, can open, but you can't have live performances. <clears throat> it's like, I don't understand. It's, you know, how can you open up, you know, theatres and, and concert halls for live, for, for open them up and not have live performances? Ever, we're all in the, the same boat here. We just don't know what's happening. And the December tour, you know, this again, my UK promoter's on the phone asking me about, you know, can you do these dates in, in basically in a year's time? And it's, it's it, you're dealing with that and dealing with 2021 tour and I'm dealing with the album now. You know, it's been hectic, so it has. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's becoming the, the, this whole live thing. I mean, I've got no idea. We have no idea what's going to go on with it. It's, um, it's so frustrating for us, for everybody, for all the bands and all the crews and everybody else. And it's lovely seeing um, uh, Lady Judy Dench, or I can't remember what her title is. I apologise, Judy, if you listen to this. But um, it's great having all these thespians and Shakespearean people going like the Desi Theatre, and yeah, I really appreciate that. And I feel sorry, and, and it's terrible, and we all need a way out of it. But it's, um, I wish people would remember about the musicians and you know the, the, the music industry that's sitting on the other side of this, because I'm not seeing that in the news. We see about venues closing down, but uh, you know, when it comes into bands and things, I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for bands that are kind of coming out with their first album or bands that are in that that point where they've kind of just about reached the fulcrum and you know they're, they're just about to hit the crest and ride and then suddenly it's like stop can't go go no further um yeah it's uh but like i said there's no point in stamping feet i just have to react to to whatever i'm, I'm told to do or what i can't do um and, and see how it goes but it's, it's impossible and and you know that i've got again the double whammy of um you know, under this COVID 
you know, under this COVID cloud, there's a lot going on in the world. And, um, you know, you've got to keep your eyes switched to the dial, I suppose. But, I mean, you know, the other thing is that, you know, my, my European tour next year, October, November, going by what I'm reading and, like I said, scrolling down, you know, the, the pages on the Independent, the Guardian or whatever, and, um, you know, we're, we're looking at the whole Brexit shenanigan going on. And, um, you know, the possibility... <laughs> The, the strong possibility of a no-deal Brexit. I, I think a no-deal Brexit is probably about the same, we're looking at the same percentages as my December tour. And the thing is, if a no-deal Brexit happens, the whole thing's going to change it there. I mean, I'm already faced with, you know, if Marcel can play guitar on, on, on the next tour, wherever we go out, and if Dominic's my production manager, I've got two people that I already have to get uh, visas for. And so I have to get working visas for them to work in the UK and likewise, you know, all the rest of us are going to have to get working visas for Europe and we've got no idea whether it's country by country or whatever. Nobody's telling us. And, uh, you know, like I said, when you, you put together, you know, rebooking something like a 33 date, 30 voltage tour, it would be nice to know, kind of, what's happening around it. But uh, like I said, it's very frustrating waiting here, not knowing what's happening, waiting on people to make decisions that I've got no control of. So, uh, there we go. Peter Bohr, it's good to understand that uh, Michael Schneider, Erdinger, thank you. Danny Matos, Christian Pavlik from Dortmund. Danny Matos, Toronteros. Tusa de Martini, we all need music, we all need music, yeah. It's been, I've been listening to quite a lot of music. Andy Fox! Hope you're well and surviving. Yes, I am, Andy. And, you know, I'm sure that when I play Cardiff, I'm going to be seeing you down there and the Bristol show. Matthew Bennett, camera switch. Yeah, I, I've got the camera switch around so you can read it. You know, so. That's just says. Oh, dinner. Well. We're still doing well. Still doing well. Um. Like I said, I mean, this whole week's been, you know, working and, and making decisions in tech, and we've got to make sure that um, all the we've got to make sure all the details that are on the, the album sleeve are all correct as well. And because I mean, you know, I I know from experience, it's like you put something in an album sleeve, and it's it's the album sleeve goes out before the album, and something changes. Well, you didn't see this, and that's not what it says on the album. We're trying to get that right. So when we put up all the different ratios and etc. etc. the five to ones, you know exactly what you're getting. So yeah. to level volume too low. I don't know why the volume is too low. I have no idea why the volume's too low. Uh Dale Allen can't hear you. You can't hear me. Shit. Why can't you hear me? I've not adjusted any volumes. Um, <coughs> nice trousers, yeah. I wore the shorts on. It was it was it was twenty five degrees uh, two days ago. Yesterday was a humdinger, and then today was thunder and lightning and lots of rain. Sound pants. Okay, I'm gonna turn the phone back round. Uh, da -da 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 -da.
Now, is that better? One, two, 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 two. Check, check, check. One, two. Come on, give me a thumbs up on this. Is the sound better? Shocking sound. Still, my mic's too far away. Can you hear me now? Oh, for God's sake. Oh, come on, you bastard. Right, here I am. Dog Bob, stop sending me messages. I'm up close, personal now. Dog Bob, go away. Please do not send me messages when I'm live. Thank you. It's me here now, all ready for you, talking loud so you can all hear me. That's the problem when you don't have an engineer. <laughs> I've not touched any volume controls. Andy Bradfield, much better, Barry Kitchen. Andy Bradfield, yeah, of course. Yeah, come up, do the same, Andy. Free uh, Clark, all good from Ohio. Siobhan Freeborn, happy, happy Freddy Fish, thank you, good, good, good. Hi Siobhan, good you doing? yes, volume solved. Right, okay. As I said, for those of you who didn't hear, there was another vinyl question. As I said, the vinyl went down to, the, the masters went down to Alchemy in London, who have basically done the mastering of the Velschmitz vinyl. And it's done at half speed. That's why I do it alchemy. That's why I don't do it across in Czechland so that we're in control of the mastering and everything goes across there to be sorted out. Lacquers go across and press up there. And it's worth doing. Seemingly, um, this actually doing the mastering at half speed like, it seemingly makes a hell of a difference and it's going to be stunning vinyl. But, uh, da -da -da -da. Murray Wellwood. One thing to consider with the vinyl is the inner sleeves. I love the thick inner sleeves in the Feast 2 LPC set, but as a person who plays vinyl, this causes a few issues. We put the vinyl in to ploy liner, lined inner sleeves and there is no space for the thickness of the inners. Personally, I had a polyline-lined inners and an inner thinner insert and, a po and or a poster, then two thick inner sleeves. Another issue is the second you take them out, the first time the vinyl ends up being covered in paper fragments. I'm forever cleaning these records. The vinyl will be coming out as a double gatefold, right? And it will be in paper inner sleeves. 
I didn't get an option to put these, these kind of plastic sleeves. I admit, they're great to have. But as you pointed out, you put in two of those sleeves, you can forget anything else going on the inside. When I've got the vinyl coats and everything else, there was no chance of getting these sleeves. All I can suggest, right, is that if you're that bothered about it, which I'm sure you are, and I understand, and I relate to it, buy a load of inner sleeves, and then you can put your albums in there, and when you're taking them out and in, then you can use them, and then you can either stack your inner sleeves somewhere else, or put them in, or try and get them in. But that's where it is. I know what it's like, all the albums, the big heavy duty albums I've got, that I bought um, in record stores, not a record store, but in stalls, market stalls, when I bought a lot of vinyl to replace the stuff I'd sold to pay my rent back in 1981. You know, you, you got them, and it's great seeing these old Americans things where you've got the, the plastic in the sleeves and they're wonderful. And it's interesting because, you know, when you go start going through the dates that goes into the 70s, then suddenly you're getting adverts put in for other albums and things. But, um, but yeah, they went out. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's got something to do with uh, um, the the factories and the fact that, you know, everything's what's by machines and robots now and, you know, all the, the, the vinyls actually put inside the sleeves in the plant. Everything's mechanised. And I don't know whether the, the machines just don't deal with that paper, whether it's too flimsy and that's why they use the cardboard sleeves. But... As I said, sorry, but you know the the album will be coming out with the with the two sleeves, and when you get it, you can take it out, wipe all the paper off it, and like I said, buy some sleeves and keep it in that. But that's the way it goes, and it means like on the two inner sleeves on the gatefold of Velchmelts when it comes out on September the twenty fifth, when you get it, all the lyrics will be on it because if we just had normal sleeves, we couldn't print lyrics on, and. The gatefold, even the gatefold itself, just with a double thing, it's not enough to accommodate the lengthy fishy tombs that happen on an album. So there you go. But I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about taking paper off, right? And I'm going to take some of you back. Right? Andrew Miles can hear you loud and clear for us. Julie Ansel, great sound, no idea what they're on about. Okay, KTEL. Hands up, who remembers KTL products? Right. I remember them from kind of the from the seventies, from the kind of early seventies, and you used to get this thing for your turntable, and it was like another arm, right? And what it had on it was it had a little brush and it had a roller, and what you had was there was like um, there was like a gluey, sellotapey thing on on the base, and basically you put this at the back of your, your turntable and then you put the you you, you put the, the the brush and the roller. So there's a brush and then the roller that was kind of like that. And the brush and the roller cleaned off the groove and was supposed to traverse the disc at kind of the same time as as the stylus, right? And the, the arm and the stylus. And um and it was supposed to collect all the muck, which meant that you didn't, you know, when you've got a really manky record and like, you know, you've had it out at a party and then you've, the, the, the styles gets clogged up and you've got to take it off and clean it with a little brush. I bet it was the KTEL thing. But, you know, I never thought at the time, I bet there must be a certain amount of drag in, in it, you know. Like, are you actually really getting 33 and a third because of the drag of the KTEL kind of like disc cleaner? And um, I always thought it was a very lazy thing rather than, you know, just get a wee one of them little eye glass things, one of these glass kind of dusters. That's what I used to use. 
And then keep your lid down, love. Keep your lid down. Keep your dust off. But yeah, Kato, and this another thing, and I think back to it now, and I go like, go on, and everybody talking about, like, you know, got to look after the vinyl, got to, got to be careful with the sleeves and not get a mark on them. Ketel, right, for those of you who may remember, and for those who don't remember, I've got no idea what I'm on about, they used to make this thing, right, where you could put your records in, right? So what happened was you had this kind of box and you put all your vinyl in, you know, so all the sleeve sleeves were facing you, and it all went to the back. And then when you pulled the first one, right, it pulled the second one over and the third one. So the, the kind of records fell in front of you so you could see. That was the kind of idea of it all, right? And I think back to now, it's like you got your sleeve sitting in this little thing, just bending, you know. K-Tel. And I think, I may be wrong, but they were the first people to go for those. They did the kind of, um, like, from the Top of the Pops albums. Like, there was the Top of the Pop Music for Pleasure albums that were cover bands playing the pop songs from the charts of the day. And I seem to remember that KTEL were the first label to actually get the original songs and start putting the original songs on albums. And they branched out, and I, I seem to remember they were quite a big company at the time. And I look forward to looking at the line of conversations coming up here to see what comments you may or may not have on KTEL products. Right? And whatever happened to that film? Right? Linda Dublin, I remember KTEL. Jeff, just Jeff, yes. <laughs> Mark Sutton, KTEL, oh no. Dean Davis, why would he know this? He hasn't been in the band for 30... Oh, I don't know what that was about. For sure, Woolworths was full of Woolworths. Yeah, you could buy all the KTEL stuff in, in Woolworths. Um, Stephanie Vermey, I own lots of KTEL vinyl records. But I, th I think I'm right. I think what they did was they, they did kind of um, they licensed material from from the, the the real labels to put together these what eventually became now this is music you know, when you know they did it. But KTL I think were the pioneers using bringing together those those kind of chart albums. Uh, um, Julian Davis, hi Fish, how you doing? Da da da, Julian Davis. Ketil still exists, my friend. Janie owns it. Huh? Janie? Don't know. Danny Martos Torrentoris. Yeah, you're too young to remember Ketil. Angela Hartwell, Ketil. Ketil ads were on the TV. Yeah, remember all the Ketil ads? I'm sure they made loads of stuff that was all kind of, you know, helpful in a kind of strange way. Uh, but I mean, what's there? Alan Westerberg, hi, Edward Martin. What format will the live CES material be released on? I don't know. Um, CES, I take it you mean in the live clutch and it's raw stuff. We've not had time to do this. Give us a break. I mean, um, we've now got lots of time. Um, after next week, Steve Vances has been, uh, like I said, he's mixed the. the the Veltschmerz tracks that we played live, the, the stuff that was on Parley has been recorded, has, has been mixed and that's all mastered. And like I said, for what I've heard, it's sounding great. Um, but regarding the clutch material, I don't know. It's Everything's changed, you know? I mean, vigil and internal. I mean, I, I put a phone call in at my lawyer again this week going like, can somebody please tell me what's happening with the, 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 the paperwork on vigil? So if somebody can say, yes, you can go ahead with it, I'm waiting on somebody to go, yes, I can do it. 
Um, Channel XL was my decision, but I want to put that remaster out with the visual remaster because it's album one and album two, it makes sense. 13 Star is an album that has now moved into a remaster. So at some point, you know, it'll be next year. I mean, um, as I said, this, the October, November, December touring, you know, I wouldn't put bets on it. You know, I really would not put a pound on it, right? And I think all you have to do is, is, is look at what's happening in America. And, you know, when you're looking at, you know, figures and infection figures that are coming out of places like Florida and Arizona and, and California in the last couple of days, you know, you know, after these these openings up, you know, it's um, it's not going the way a lot of people were thinking it was going to go. And and I was quite shocked at the you know watching um, the, the UK TV watching watching the news in the in the last few days and seeing the pictures from the beaches and you just go ah <laughs> and uh, you know when we're coming in you know everybody's been locked in for so long everybody's frustrated everybody wants to get out and just flex themselves and you know you understand that people want to go into bars people want to do things you know. And I think we're having these kind of releases of the phases and them seemingly accelerating. You know, the concern has always got to be, that, you know, there's going to be more infections and all the rest of it. And I find that, you know, I, I think people are just kind of go thinking that's it over as if there's like, you know, the switch has been pulled down, you know, and uh, it hasn't. And that's why I think you know, I hate to be the purveyor of doom and gloom, but I mean, as you've heard on, on, on enough stations yourself, you know, there's a, a, an extremely strong likelihood of there being a second wave. And, you know, when that, if that hits again, we're all going to be shut down. So I, I can't, I shut down again. So I can't really see concert halls and theatres or anything else happening this year because I really do believe that there's a second wave coming. And in all honesty, it's not really a second wave because we're not even out the first one yet. And um, so, as I said, I mean, when it comes to remasters and, and and putting product together, then I can see us having plenty of time to put together, you know, the Vigil in the Wilderness and Mirrors remaster, the Internal XL remaster, the 13 Star remaster, the, and the Culture of the Soil's live stuff. And it will just feed out over the next nine months. I mean, I've got nothing else. I mean, all I have is, is, is record the product and, and T-shirts now. I mean... Uh, you know, in all likelihood, we could be looking at, you know, not being able to go on the road until, you know, next spring. And that's a long time to be sitting on your ass as a musician. Long time. And in the same way as the footballers coming back, it was, uh, you know, we need to go to training as well. I mean, it means going into full-blown rehearsals all over again, you know. And um, But as I said, I will take that bridge when I come to it. And at the moment, all I can do is just concentrate fully on this Veltschmerz album and making sure all the detail, all that tech stuff, all the specs, all of the artwork and the sleeve notes and the thank yous and the credits and da-da-da, I've just got to make sure they're all right. I've got to keep focused on that for about another week just to make sure there's no mistakes and, you know, there's, there's no problems. And it's so, so easy at this point to, to basically fuck up. <laughs> so, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Takes a draft of his rape. David Coverdale's story.
<laughs> Alan Johnson, you're right, I can remember now, almost like tenants cans, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alan Stilling, Music Explosion was the album I still have. Yeah, Music Explosion, KTL, yeah. Oh, Jeff Kiefer, Fish, you're still contact with Wes. Wes, you're probably not watching, but John Wesley, Death the Third, a huge happy birthday from myself and Simona and the tribe over here to your American tribe. I miss you so much, my darling. I miss you so much. And maybe... May we be able to stand in the Tyneside Bar once again and quaff 80 shilling together as old comrades. I look so much forward to it. Wes. Oh. oh, another guitarist I've got to thank. I have to say a big thank you to Steve Rothery because seemingly Steve Rothery is now doing uh, live broadcasts on a Friday and he put his back so that it wouldn't cross with this one that's coming out, Harrington. So Steve, thank you very much for doing that. Mutual respect. Take care, brother. So uh, let's just have fun. This, this is the space for all of us to talk. Yeah, we're all in here together in the lockdown thing. Oh, God. Right. <clears throat> KTL Record Selector. That was what that thing was. <clears throat> that, that turned the albums over, but all the albums fell, so you could, so you didn't have to, you could be hands free and watch your albums float in front of you. The KTL record selector, <laughs> Stuart Ferry's second wave, ninth wave. Yeah, I know what you mean, mate. Yeah. Uh, do you read big books of Ian Rankin, Raymond Van Dyck? Yes, I do. I know Ian. I've had a couple of drinks with Ian, and I'd like to go out for more. And I would love to meet Ian in the Oxford Bar if you, you know, if he's listening. Uh, will internal and intellects will both be five to one surround sound I don't know I've, I don't think so uh, let's see how it goes As, um, Vigil is owned by the copyright of Vigil and Wilderness and Mirrors is owned by EMI Records which is now Warner and um, they own the copyright of all these bits and it's uh, I only have a lot when we're talking about I have to license that material even though you know, I'm the artist, they own the copyright, so I have to license it back off them for a period. And it means that I'm kind of limited in what I can do and whether I go into the expense of doing five to ones and doing Blu-rays, I don't know yet. That's a decision that will be taken probably on the back of Elchmerz and I'll make that decision when it happens, so. Uh, Jimmy Logan, is that Neil Young in the painting above the hi-fi? No. That painting up there was done by Mark Wilkinson and it's an acrylic and he gave me that and it's a treasured possession. It's one of my favourites of Mark and it, it means a lot to me because it was done during the, the Field of Crows uh, artwork period when we were looking at the, the, um, the cover of Field of Crows was very much uh, inspired by the Vincent van Gogh um, uh, Wheatfields and threatened, th threatening crows or whatever it was. And um, and he, he was using that Van Gogh style, and that's what he did for me. And he did a kind of pseudo Van Gogh in acrylic for me, and it's beautiful, and I love it. And um, it's one of my favourite portraits. I've got a few portraits that, uh, that have been given to me by people that are like really good. And um, but that's my favourite one. Uh, it's my wife's favourite as well. So. Um, Pierre Fontaine, 
Yeah, I'm not getting in touch with the virus. Malcolm Reese, have you seen the mask book? Uh, the mask book, yes. I have the mask book because Mark and I put it together and I've got hundreds of them here and we sell them through fishmusic.scot. I've seen the mask book because I wrote it with Mark. Yay, so I did. It's ancient now. It finishes in Fellini days. Uh, the bandanas, the buffs, by the way, are now on the shop. We are now selling them on the fishmusic.scot website. And uh, I've been wearing them all the time as masks go down the street, bits and pieces in them. They're great. Well, they're a bit... <clears throat> they're not medical masks, but, you know, the thing is with, with those things, it's the same when I wore them in the West Island way for, for against midges and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and I wear them on the top of my head to keep the sun from my shining bonds. You know, the silver panel for the sex machine that I am. Right? And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's great because you can wash them so easily. It's like if you go out, <coughs> come back, put them under the tap, give them a good wash with soap, throw them under the tap, bang, ready for your next day. Right. Uh, Mark Lyman, greetings from Cookville, Tennessee. Hi, Mark. Ray Rooks, Steve Rutherford, he's awesome. He's an awesome guy for dropping it back an hour. Well done, mate. Uh, Mark JT Griffin, are you still thinking of acting in the future? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, as I said before, it's like, if I'd done a lot more in, in the 80s, then I'd be sitting here with a, a, a decent amount of experience and a decent CV to attract decent positions. But um, I'm quite happy doing what I am. If somebody comes along and offers me something, then um, I'll look at it, and if I like it, and it's interesting to me, and it looks like fun and stuff, then yeah. And that goes for independence, whatever. But... <clears throat> You know, my experience is kind of limited. I, I, I wish I'd spent more time. I really wish I'd spent more time, you know, acting and learning and doing more. But um, such was life, you know. So, uh, Pinage, Santi, Luca. It's been a long time since you've been to Barcelona. I think it's time to come back. Yeah, if a promoter comes in and gives me, offers me a gig, then I'd love to come back. It's great. Jason Kenny, what makes your watch fish? Watches. It's a Swiss military Hanover. As you can tell from the fact that I had to look at it to check, I've never been a watch guy. John Mitchell, who I talked to last week, lovely conversation. Um, John's a big watch guy. He's seriously into watches and knows the prices, knows the details, knows the productions, knows all the different models. Incredible. I've never been into watches. I, I, I didn't like expensive watches. Um, I don't know, I think it was just, I always felt a little bit weird having something that was incredibly valuable on my wrist. And it was, I mean, I was a Timex boy when I was a kid, when I was a wee boy, Seconda. I just love Seconda. But I mean, the, the Swiss military ones, I, I like these. And this was actually, this was actually bought for me um, quite a few years ago by my wife. Someone had bought for me when we had a, a, a weekend in London. And um and it's great that it, it fits the business. It's it's not flash. I, I, I want it. I want to say it doesn't get busted if I'm, if I'm banging or something. And being on stages, I mean, a number of times when I've had watches before in the past, and I've come off stage, and then you realise when you come off that you, the watch has come off sometimes during the performance, and you're turning around to the guitar and you're you go out cheap for my watch and scurrying about. So um, but yeah, I've never been. I've never been into kind of expensive watches and flashy watches and, you know, I just like something that's functional, you know, which is kind of what kind of runs, 
it's kind of the approach I take to most of my life. I like functional things, you know. I don't like flash stuff. Uh, Anne Marie Oester, have your lyrics ever been published in the book of poetry? No. I don't consider what I do poetry. It's like kind of, it's, I don't know what it is. I, I don't really read poetry. Can't remember the last time I read a poetry book, probably when I was researching for the Highwood on Feast of Consequences, when I was reading a lot of, like I said, Siegfried Sassoon and, and Wilfred Owen and things. But I don't really read poetry. Um, it's interesting, it's, it's like I love Cormac McCarthy, and it's, what's really weird at the moment is uh, my mum's an avid reader, and you know, jigsaws, and she reads books, and of course there are hundreds of books in this house, a lot of which, you know, are not perhaps my mum's cup of tea, so to speak. But uh, I had a pile through there of books I hadn't read that were ready to go through to the control room and to my, my little shelf of books to be read. And it was Cormac McCarthy. And my mum picked it up because she had a pile of books next to my pile of books and she started to read Cormac McCarthy and loved it. And I thought that was really quite incredible because he writes with kind of... The way I like to write, big sentences, flowing, kind of stream of consciousness stuff. And But I think it's that stream of consciousness stuff, the way that... With McCarthy, you kind of you kind of sit in it and you just kind of float through the page and you it just it all comes in, you know. And if you stop and go back and analyse a bit, and sometimes you can lose the stream of it all. And I just found it interesting that that my mum, you know, at eighty seven year old, was is reading, you know, Cormac McCarthy in that style. And uh, and like I said, loving it. But anyway, where are we? Ten to seven. Olaf. Prezibola, do you play golf in your spare time? Not a chance. I hate golf. I really hate golf, right? And it's like, I mean, golf clubs are banned on the tour bus. I mean, come on my gig, you know, come get in my band, try and get on a tour bus with a set of golf clubs. Uh-uh. Ain't gonna happen. I had a bad reaction to it. I think my dad was really into golf. And my dad played... My dad could have been a brilliant golfer. I mean, he could have been, he could have been a pro if he'd started earlier. I mean, he just had an eye for it and a real feel for it. His short game, the putting game, I know all the terms. See, his short game was rubbish, but his long game, he could hit a ball for a long, 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 long time, smack it right up the fairway, shake it, and um, I hit it. My dad went and played golf. I tried it a couple of times. I don't have the temperament for golf. And people have said, oh, but you get into it. You get into it. That's like heroin, right? And um, I, love, I think I've got something like 20 golf courses in a 10-mile radius of this house. And I don't play golf. I just don't like it. It's like the whole thing about it just spoils a good walk, right? That's the kind of way I look at it. And like I said, I've nearly been caught. I remember when we built the studio in 91, the builders, we decided to have kind of a boys afternoon off right, when we were built, all the guys were in the studio all the time. So we went out, got very pitched and we took golf clubs and went up to Gifford and we played golf up there. And the very first hole, right, put my ball down, got a wood out, number three wood or whatever it was, and whacked it. It went straight up that fairway, right? And everybody went, Woof. you can play. My dad had got me lessons that I rejected after about the second time. I just got so pissed off with them, right? But on this time in Gifford, with the builders from the studio, I smacked this ball right up. 
and that was the last time I hit a straight ball for the following three hours and I spent most of the rest of the afternoon wandering about in brambles and brush trying to find a lost ball and I just went, I don't like it. So I can't watch it on TV, I'd rather watch horse racing than watch golf on TV. But I happen to live in a county where it is, you know, golf, the golfing county. But no, I don't like golf. Mark Skinner, hi from Yorkshire. Uh, Keto Simunseth, will there be any Fugazi tour? No. Uh, Raymond Vajik, you learn English by my songs. <laughs> Not from my talking. Um, Mark, let him in a good walk round, exactly. Uh, Jeff Kiefer, Fish, did you ever meet Bowie? Yeah, I did. And I wish I hadn't. It was... Um, I saw him at Live Aid backstage, didn't talk to him, and I, I bumped into him in the venue, on the, the top floor of the venue, uh, the, 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 the thing, and I went up to him, and he wasn't in a good state, and I walked up to him, and I went, ah, pleased to meet you, brother, and he, he kind of blanked me, and I just went, ah, let's leave it, you know. So, no. <laughs> Kevin Van Dort, yeah. Titana Rock from Anzioni Roma, yes, hello. Uh, it seems to me there's a lot of people out there who don't like golf either. <laughs> right. Uh, I go for the 19th, yeah. Right. I was watching, I was, I was, um, I was kind of taking a note of the, the, the questions and stuff today, you know, and things I was kind of, want to talk about, as I said, David Barris has said, Daffy Hill, David Barris has said, like, you know, what are you going to talk about? Oh, God. And then I started to take the notes. And I was sitting, watching the TV, right? I'm going to watch because I'm going to probably get any litigation in this, right? And it's you always get hair adverts. You know, you always get that, you know, how to get, you know, get, get the new head of hair. We talked about plug jobs on a, on a previous um, fishing Friday, but... It came up today, Maine. Right? <laughs> Who came up with that name for a company that does that, does like this stuff? And it's this thing where you've got hair. If you've got hair, you basically spray it at an angle, and basically it, it gives you um, content. I think is it content? And um, it was like, and I just went, you know, it's Maine, and it's a lion, and I just thought, oh god, it's like you know, what an awful name. And it was this, you know, the guy spraying the stuff on his hair to thicken it all up and give it volume, right? <laughs> I don't need volume. In my head, what I need is a can of Dulux paint, big roller, da-da-da, brown hair today, shh, ginger tomorrow, hell's a wee bit blonde there. I'm bald and I've got white hair and I'm more than happy with it. But, I mean, I saw this, the similar products that mean, right? <laughs> Back in the day, uh, when they were talking about, you know, a lot of guys get really uptight about their hair, right? And you know, some of you may already know where this is going, right? But a lot of guys get really uptight with their hair and they get really self-conscious about it. I understand, I went through a wee phase myself, right? And then I just gave up, right? Some people don't and some people buy mane. And when you put that stuff in your head, it's like they always say, it won't be noticed by anybody else. Yes, you do notice it, but you do. And you do notice when guys dye their hair and when they're sitting there in their 50s with, you know, jet black hair, you know that ain't natural. That's what I'm saying. But here, right, 
David Coverdale. Right. So you may want to know, you used to actually be a hairdresser, right, a long time ago. He was from, North, he was Red Car, I think he was from, Red Car, yeah, up kind of northeast England vibe, right? And um, I got to know Dave Coverdale when he was in Whitesnake, because Whitesnake was signed to, to EMI. And um, they were kind of, they, they were like the, the big rock band. It was at the time when they had, um, they were really kicking out those great videos, videos when he had his, his wife, Tawny, his then wife, I think, it was, she, I think it was called Tawny. You know, Dave used a bit, you know, do you want to be in my video? Same way as we all use it at some point in our lives. Want to be in a video? Huh? So I met my first wife. But, um, but Dave Coverdale, right? He was saying to EMI, we met up, I'd met John Lord, and I knew some of the kind of that Bernie Marsden crowd from when we were kind of kicking around the, the pubs and the clubs, you know, in, in kind of 82, 83 and stuff. And, um, um, I knew a lot of that kind of blues crowd. I mean, weren't great friends, but we kept on bumping each other. And it was like Bernie. And then uh, we met up with Whitesnake. I got invited back to a party and I got on really, really well with all the guys. And we became, I became really friendly with, with quite a few of them. Cozy Powell and I, Cozy, I got on really well with Cozy. And Cozy also played for the SES band as well. But when I met him, he was in, in Whitesnake. And I went on, a Cozy took me up during a white snake party down at um, um, the Hilton in Kensington, we were upstairs having the party. I said, I've got to go up and do a run up to North London. Do you want to come with me? And I went, you know what? Yeah, well. <laughs> and I got in this, this Merc with, with Cozy Powell and he drove me up to North London. I have never, ever done the North Circular, uh, North Circular Road at that speed in my life before. It was Formula One stuff. But he was so safe and you, you know, sometimes when you get in a car with somebody who's like um, confident, they know what they're doing and you recognise it immediately. You know, there's no kind of like little squeals or shit like that. And he was a, an absolutely brilliant driver. And um, uh, and he took me all the way up to North London back. And I came back, but at the end of this, he said, uh, he says, I'm very impressed. He said, I, and he's going like, what? I said, what? He said, uh, he said, normally, he says, people get to car me, they normally end up screaming after the first mile. So <laughs> he was great. But anyway, I've got to know them all, blah, blah, blah. And we'll, we'll just jump through it. And uh, I'd been in LA. I was in LA and Dave Coverdale phoned me up at my hotel and asked me if I wanted to go out for breakfast. So he picked me up in his big flash jag and we went off to some wee hotel and had an English breakfast, as, you know, English people in America like to do. And... Um, we had this English breakfast and we had a, a, a lovely time and he said that he was coming across. And I went, great. And he said, I'm, 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 on, a, I'm on a problem trip, right, you know. Always looking immaculate, the hair was always immaculate. You know, he was always kind of very cool, you know, very nice guy. And we got on really well, he really liked my lyrics. And I, as a guy, I just, I, I, I responded to him. He was just, it was, he was good, great company, right. And he was coming across to, um, to, to London to do a, a promo trip. And um, and he said, oh, well, let's get in touch. And I went, all right, cool, Dad, I swapped numbers, right? And um, he came over and I phoned up his hotel and stuff. And he says, yeah, how are you doing? And I says, look, I says, what, are you, what are you doing tonight? He said, I'm doing nothing. He said, I'm completely bored. I said, look, look, he said, we'll pick you up, right? And 
at the time I was living in Jarrah's Cross in Buckinghamshire, which was kind of a stone's throw from London, and I said, like, well, let's go for a, let's go for a Chinese. I said, fancy going for a Chinese, right? As you do. <laughs> and we did, and we picked up, and there was my sister. My sister was designated driver, right? And there was myself and my, my then wife, Tamara, right? And we picked him up at his hotel in London and went up to Aylesbury and we met up with Privet, who was the sound engineer, and his uh, wife, partner, Fiona, right? And we went up the Chinese, it was really cool, lovely meal, and we're all sitting at the table. So the only two guys, in fact, Privet wasn't there, I've got it wrong. It was Fiona, Laura, uh, Tamara, myself and Dave, right? And David Coverdale Woman is the most gentlemanly person, right? He has every kind of move. <laughs> He's so polite and so respectful. It becomes actually, it can become noisy eating, right? And of course, when we were in the Chinese, every time, you know, one of the girls got up, he was standing up and like, you know, get the chair and stuff like that. And you're kind of going, all right. and. You don't want to copy it, you know, you'd, so you're just watching and he was just, he was brilliant. He was a complete charmer. We had a lovely meal. It was a great time and the meal came to an end. And it was like, I said, Dave, I said, uh, what do you fancy? Fancy going for a pint? Right? And he went, yeah, yeah, right. So we went down to the market square and we went to, <laughs> we went to the wine bar up at the top of the market square, up the top of the Buckingham statue. And we went in, we were, and there was only about six people or something in, in, in the wine bar, right? And the, the barman's going, oh, how are you doing, fish? And like, you know, oh, great, great, great. And of course, Dave's there and all the rest of it, and it's David Coverdale, right? And I just go, it's David Coverdale, right? So we talk to him, and he goes, uh, who's your mate? Right? <laughs> said, that's actually my hairdresser. And they said, oh, that's your hairdresser. Said, oh, excuse me, blah, blah. And it was, we had such a brilliant night, right? And we went back, and my, my sister, was driving, right? And I remember my then wife and I were sitting in the back of the car and David was sitting in the front with my sister Laura, right? And <laughs> as you do, <laughs> my sister starts singing Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where you went, are you for real? <laughs> and she's sitting there driving going, Ain't no love in the heart of the city. And Cordy was sitting next to her. And it's just, she just starts singing off the top of her head. It was an earworm that went in, you know, like, Ain't no love in the heart of the city. And Cordy started laughing and we were creased up in this car. And my sister suddenly realised what she was doing. It was, it was great. It was a good night. And that is my David Coverdale story. The hairdresser. Mean. Use it. Oh. Thought he was a Yorkshire lad. Mike Hewitt. Yeah, I'm sure it's red car. But before he joined, before he joined Purple and stuff, I'm sure he was a red car boy. Tony, yes, Ray Rooks, big smile, yeah. Because David went through his traditional rock and roll divorce on that one. R.I.P. Cozy, John Waters, yeah, Cozy, lovely book, right? And um, and of course John Lord, and John Lord was a lovely gentleman. He was an absolute. He was kind of we're in the the, the white snake thing. He was kind of. He was like, he was kind of like a father, you know, he, he, or or the, the older brother, you know, and uh, it was like, and he kind of kept things under control because I mean Dave, and you know, and after that, by the way, I hardly, I, I, Dave went through the big divorce and everything after that, and he went into, he went to another world, and 
the next time I saw him was in uh, it was a, a festival in, in in Switzerland just out, it was outside Zurich and they were playing and Aerosmith were playing the same gig and I think we were playing the night after and we went down to see them and it was I didn't recognise him and he'd, he'd had a lot of work done and uh, he looked a lot older and um, and he didn't recognise me and I kind of went you know what let's just walk away nice stories so I have others but you don't get to hear those ones Danny Martos Torrenteros, did you ever meet Johnny Clegg? No, I didn't, and it was sad to lose that man as well. Um, got me Dublin. Somebody's actually put an offer in for a show up in Belfast, actually, that we've got to look at. This is the other thing, go back to the shows. I mean, people turn around and go and like, you know, can you do this? Will you book this? I don't know what's happening. How can we start booking, you know, when and throwing in sporadic dates. You know, it's like, we need something solid to deal with, please, right? And Cozy did die in a high-speed crash, Patrick Mannion, yes, yeah. Well, but I used to love, I, I really liked White Snake back in those days. They were kind of, when it was still bluesy before it, before it went, you know, they went through this whole change of guitarist thing. But I mean, uh, back then, it was some great players in the, in the band. Well, Nita, oh, Neil Murray as well. And Neil Murray played for White State, Scottish guy, you know. Great bass player as well. Lovely, go lovely book. It was a great lineup. That White State lineup was fantastic. Um, yeah. Five past seven. Moving up to it. Uh, what have we got? Oh, a couple of thank yous. Um, who's the thank yous? Oh, first of all, Kirsty Taizo, um, you sent a message to me and I forgot it last week. I'm sorry. She goes, hi, I understand you'd be getting a that. It's, it's my dad's 50th birthday tomorrow, which was basically last Saturday. And he's a massive fan. He's been watching the live streams, right? So Robin Taizo, it's a week late, but a very, very happy birthday. And you're going to hate this because your, your daughter, right? left me the phone number and I actually phoned you up at the week last weekend and there was no answer. And uh, so, and there was no message, Silas. So I did try, but I've remembered. So a belated happy birthday. Uh, but, but, but that goes to the people. What's the other one? Oh, bollocks. Oh, here it is. Um, I've got to thank somebody for honey. Where is it? It's gone again. I'll find it during the play. Yeah. Um, Andy Mantosh, what's in the menu tonight? I'll tell you later. That's too early for food. Dave Parker, hi. Gary Van Dien Smith, what's cooking for teeth? Lair, Mike Seven, salt, salt burn. Salt burn for David Coverdale. Uh, Philip Garbett, do you keep in touch with her here, Anthony Bruce Dickinson? Nah. I've lost touch with Bruce years and years and years ago. I think um, when... Uh, it was one of those things that I'm not making any... Uh, when I went into the big argument with EMI in 1990, uh, when I had the litigation and 
when my, let's just say, my star fell out of the heavens in the mid-90s, there was a lot of people that I used to be in touch with that weren't in touch with me anymore. And you just remember that, you know. It's, um, I'm quite fine, fine by it, you know, there's nothing mixed. But, I mean, Bruce, I, mean, I met him a couple of times since, but it was uh, he was wrapped up in his own stuff. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, I, I went to see, the last time I saw Maiden was in Glasgow, I think it was. And I saw them all, and I just felt like a real spare part in the backstage area. And I left the gig after about 20 minutes because it was so goddamn loud and the sound was horrendous. And um, they were really nice guys. Steve, uh, Steve Harris is a, a beautiful geezer and I love his company. And I'll, I'll, you know, he's a very genuine person. And uh, we have a lot of mutual likes and music and stuff like that. And Harris, I've gotten really well. But singers, it's like, <clears throat> it's always the same with singers. It's, it's very rare that I've got kind of friends of singers. Michael Sadler, lovely guy. You know, but I mean, you know, for singers, I, I, I always get away with drummers, seemingly enough. Oh. <laughs> Saltburn by the Sea, North Yorkshire. Tony Horvath, thank you very much. So it's Saltburn by the Sea. Uh, Robert Baxter, did you ever meet John Martin? Yes, I did John Martin. John Martin I met um, for the first time when we supported, Marillion supported him in, what was it, 1981? 1981 at, um, at Friars. And... When I met him, it was really weird because when he's, he was talking to everybody in a, a very London accent, and John always had this ability to do this, where he would talk to you in a, talk in a London accent, but if he met somebody from Scotland, he would immediately go Glasgow, right? And uh, I met him then, and because Frank Usher uh, played guitar, he was actually John Martin's favourite guitarist. John Martin went, and, and <clears throat> went on paper to say that. He was his favourite guitarist. And... Um, Frank introduced me to John, and John lived down in the borders, and we went down to John's house a couple of times, and John came up here to the studio uh, one morning, which was <laughs> an event. Bacardi, that early. <laughs> he was some dodger. I got on really well with him. You know, I didn't know him that well by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a, he was a nice guy, but difficult. Foss Patterson. Now, Foz has got stories about John Martin. He's got, because Foz played keyboards with John for a long time. He's got some horrendous stories, like re very funny, but horrendous. When you hear them, you go, you're kidding me. And uh, maybe you should get Foz in sometime. He's got great. Um, oh, where are we, where are we? Free Clark finger drink. <laughs> Did you ever meet Mick Huck? No, get real. This is, have you ever met them? Ever met him? Yeah. Make Harknell and I do not move in the same circles. Steve Petch, all the best from Harlepool. Harlepool, Yannick Gales. See? Big kiss from Poland, Rafael Shabla. Oh. Is that a Lin LP12 behind you, uh, Ian Atkinson? No, it's a Torrens Mark II TD30 turntable. Um. Uh, beer's empty, which means I've got to play something so I can sneak through to the fridge to grab another Erdinger. Uh, 
Uh, Mike Pierce from Milan, yeah. Mike P I met Mike Pierce from Milan quite a few times, Phil Graspie, yeah. Yeah, Alarm were kicking around about the same time as Marillion, and, and of course I met Mike when he was working with Big Country, when he, he, he took over from Stuart at one time. Well, I'm going to play the song now, because uh, this is the... Um, this I wrote with John Mitchell, and John and I have put together something that's very, very special, and... I explained before it was um, it was originally supposed to be Market Garden. That was the, work, the, the original working title, and it had a completely different storyline. And I came back and and worked on this, and it's a song which you can gather from the lyrics. I'll actually post the lyrics up later on on the song, but this is going to be the, the the next single stroke radio track, whatever singles are, right? that's coming out on the 24th of July, right? Which is the same time as the album is going out for pre-order. Now, do we get this? Garden of Remembrance released 24th and pre-order 24th. People have been writing in going, when's the pre-order? It's like 24th of July. Um, but Garden of Remembrance, that's, is was getting so, everybody that's been, Hearing this, and when you've seen the video, the video, the David Lamb, Hannah Wilkinson video, is extraordinary. And everybody that's seen this video just went, oh, it's very emotional, as is the song. And as I said, the making of documentary that, that David and Hannah put together for it, that goes on the Blu-ray, the deluxe version, explains it all. And even the documentary can, you know, really knocks you sideways. But the the song it, it's 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 difficult for me to kind of go into a lot of detail about. Um, it's about my father. It's about my mother. It's about me getting older. It's about Simone and I in the future. But it's also about all of yous. And I don't think everybody anybody's ever kind of um, written a song about this kind of subject matter before. Um, I wanted to to deal with it because I felt it was a very important subject matter to deal with on, on Weltschmerz, you know, and the fact that, you know, some of you are already dealing with it, some of you will have to deal with it, but dementia or Alzheimer's in an aging parent or an aging relative or an aging partner, you know, it, it's, you know, when I was a kid, it was kind of, you know, people just got old, you know, it was like when, you know, when my, when my granddad was, was kind of going, I mean, you know, it was like, it's just old. There, was, there wasn't any kind of specific names for it all. There was, you know, people didn't talk about Alzheimer's back then. People didn't talk about dementia back then, stages of dementia. Nobody talked about that. It was just, you're getting old and you're forgetting stuff. And then you went to Dulali, you know? And, you know, I think because we're, we're, we're a lot more aware of it nowadays, um, we're a lot more sensitive to it and I think you know more knowledgeable and at the same time more helpless and uh but we all have to 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 to, to deal with it and face up to it at some point like I said be it in third parties relatives family and and yourself you know and uh, I know it's, it's it's you know I think it's a worry for everybody you know the fact that you know you start to lose your memory and you know Part of the thing about you know doing these these fish on Fridays, you know, for me it's a kind of exercise. A, although it's a one-way communication, 
you know, I'm doing an hour, an hour and 45 minutes of kind of um, memory juggling and brain dancing. And that, you know, having to remember stuff like KTL, stuff like what happened with John Martin, what happened with David Coverdale. It's good for me because I'm getting, my brain is working, I'm communicating, although I really miss, you know, being in a company of people and just having political arguments and talking about stuff and, and having differences of opinions. I miss that, you know, I miss that kind of, that ping pong that, that you get in a, in a bar crowd, which I'm sure everybody understands, right? But, um, you know, the dementia thing is kind of a worry. You know, when your brain starts to fog and glue and, and uh, I think keeping active, you know, I think keeping mentally active is a good thing. And which is, you know, in lockdown, it's, it's a strain. It's, it's something difficult to keep a hold of. But with this song, with Garden Remembrance, you know, I wanted to, to, to deal with it. I wanted to touch it. I wanted to touch upon two people where one of those people, one of those persons is basically has dementia, has Alzheimer's, has an inability to, to, to basically deal, or has memories of, of the, or is able to deal with the present. And you have somebody who can remember everything and it's the love, unspoken, the lyric says it all. I have the remote, it is by me. But um, like I said, I mean, what happened with the song was that uh, we'd been struggling with this music that wasn't, to me, making any sense for what I had with the lyric. And it was John Mitchell who came up and did a fantastic job. And he took over the piano part and made it his own. And I flipped a chorus from nowhere into that and suddenly everything fell, fell together. And what was Market Garden, what was supposed to be a really big song, suddenly became this really beautiful piece. And I don't know if this is going to get played on radio. I don't know if this is going to get out to the wider attention of people. It would be great if it does. But I think what I get from it is the fact that I managed to get these feelings and these emotions and put them together in a collection of words that basically springs stuff at you. Um, this, as you know, is Gardner Remembers. He hears a voice He tries to recognise the source and place the name Oh 
Thank you. 
and they're still here Remembrance. Yeah. And don't be ashamed to cry because every time, even when I hear it, I get that. It just does it to me. I don't know what it is. It's just key John has it in the way it's, it just sits. It's just there. It's a piece of magic. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's a highly emotional piece. And um, and the video, like I said, that David Lamb and Hannah Wilkins have done, I mean, it, it, it's perfect for this song. And when we actually filmed it, we filmed it here the day before lockdown started. And Hannah and, and, and David arrived up here on, I think it was, was it the Monday? And Mark and Julie Wilkinson, because Hannah Wilkinson is, is Mark and Julie's daughter, they were not happy about her coming all the way up here when the coronavirus thing was starting to kick in. So when we came up, it's like we worked on a white screen and we did all the filming for me on a white screen, sitting on a, a piano stool and we were all socially distanced. It was really strange. It was the first kind of time we'd had people in the house. I mean, we'd had the band in the house like about a week and a half before, but suddenly it was serious, you know, and then it was like, oh, disinfecting and staying away and walking around each other. And, um, and the next day, when they, the, the day they drove back, to, down to, to Colchester was um, that was the lockdown and they were they were nervous about actually being driving that distance on, on the day and um, and then they had to shoot the, the next part the, the, there's another part of the video where it had to be shot on the beach and they had to do that during lockdown and dealing with all that so the video was kind of made on the cusp and at the same time when you see the video you have a couple walking down a glass wall and meeting up at the end and there's kind of I don't know when you hear the song and I think especially it would be now and you know people being distant from each other and, and stuff and uh, you know it, it just seems very fitting you know and I don't know whether this song might just hit you know one of those zeitgeist moments I, I don't know but it's but I'm really proud and I know John's really proud John John Mitchell's seen the video and he was in tears when he saw it and he was unashamedly blowing and I, I don't I like that with music I like songs that make me cry I like songs that move me, I think, you know. I like songs that, that, that bring out emotions in me, that touch me, in the same way as I like films, and you know, that, that, that can make me emotional. I'm, I'm, I enjoy that, I've always been like that. I've always been a kind of sensitive guy, you know, anyway, but you know. And, uh, but, you know, this song is, is, is definitely got, it's, it's, I don't know, there's an ident marker on it, it just hits, but, like I said, I mean, with the current situation, there's so many people that have been lost to families and things that I don't know, it resonates. Like I said, it's got a real zeitgeist feel to it. But I mean, uh, uh, but let's see, as I said, I mean, you know, it, it comes out and you know, I've had songs like Gentleman's Excuse Me and Just Good Friends that I thought were gonna happen. I really thought, you know, Gentleman's Excuse Me would have, would have worked as a single, but it didn't, you know, it didn't. Radio didn't like it, so, but I mean, Let's just see. I mean, it's 
as I said before in previous bro broadcasts, it's like kind of my attitude's changed. I think with this album, because it is my last album, I've kind of gone, you know, that's it. There's a certain, that is it. I've, I'm saying what I really wanted to say and, and, and dealing with things that I really wanted to talk about on this album and I'm, I'm really happy with it. I mean, I, I don't normally listen to my music. I'll normally listen to my own stuff when I'm putting together set lists. When, you know, we're going on tour and we've got to find it, and then we've got to top and tail and find out what happens. And Steve and I, Steve Vances and I will sit here and run through the catalogue and go, yeah, I quite fancy this, I quite fancy that. That's really the only times, apart from maybe I've got somebody, you know, we've got friends over and somebody's talked about something and I've thrown on Plague of Ghosts or, or something like that. You know, it, it just as, you know, oh yeah, I remember this. But I mean, but this album, okay, it's fresh. You know, I mean, it's not even in the wrapper yet, to, you know, and it's like, but this album, I've actually found myself listening to, you know, and, and Simona plays it a lot in the house. I mean, that is her favourite track as well. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it is a special album. And basically, I've just got a different, I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, I think other albums, you know, you're kind of going, I want this to advance and, and do this and do that and accomplish this and open this door and open that door. Whereas this one is kind of, this is the statement. You know, this is it. This is my last album and this is where I'm leaving it. And, uh, you know, like I said last week, you know, when I downloaded it, when Callum Malcolm sent me the, the downloads, I mean, Callum Malcolm has done such a, an amazing job on this album. I mean, you know, I mean, Steve's done a fantastic job with the engineer and stuff and the people that have been involved in it. I mean, Steve's done the engineering and the production, Callum taking over the production and what Callum brought into the game was just, it's, you know, and what he's done with this. It, this is an album that I want to listen to. You know, it's, it's like a, a proper album. I think as a musician, sometimes when you hear your album's back, you're kind of very aware it's your album. And it's, you've got a certain relationship with it. Whereas there's other ones where you listen to it and you go, yeah, this, this is just music. This, this, this is what I really wanted to do when I set off to make music, when I really wanted to make an album. This is the kind of album I always wanted to make, always, you know. It's got that whole immerse effect, and I'm not talking about the five to one, I'm talking about just the stereo that Callum's put together. You know, it's just an album that just pulls you in. And, you know, and because it's been put over two discs, it works so well. Because, I mean, Simone and I listened to, we sat and listened to um, both CDs in the last week. You know, both of the, both of the, 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 the uh, CD one and CD two from what is a double album. It's 85, 86 minutes of music. And it works great. I think the the curve of the album, the placing of the songs, it, and it's not too long, it's not too short. It's just, it works. Um, anyway, enough of that. This isn't a promotion thing. Anyway, I found the honey. Simona and Andy Maracek from Germany. Thank you very much for sending us your honey. That was really cool of you. And it's all, honey's always welcome here. It's the bear, Addington bear. Not marmalade, it's honey. Simon Reeves, a song for current times, certainly. Yeah, I think it is, Simon. It is. It's all zeitgeist about it. Joe Schumacher, Jörg Schumacher, what's the name of the song? Unfortunately, I joined too late. It's called Garden of Remembrance. Yeah. Dave Summers, Jesus on Blubbing. You're allowed to. It's a good thing. Guys crying. What is this shit with guys? You know, guys don't cry. Bollocks. It's like, throughout my entire life, 
you know, I'm, I, I will unashamedly cry at, at certain events and things. And, you know, it's a release and it's, and it's an important release. I think, you know, to, to you know, I think it's, it's one thing, it's, it's, oh, whoa, gotta watch how I go here. But, you know, I think with the, with the Celts, you know, I think emotions are very much to the fore and they're expressed, you know. And I've always been in, in, into it. I mean, for me, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved, which is why I'm, I'm probably very open about my life and what goes on in it. And I'm comfortable with that. And I'm also very comfortable with my emotions. And, you know, and as I said, sometimes it's, it's a great necessity. I mean, you know, when you've lost people, sometimes, I mean, I know in my own personal experience, you know, it can take months and months and months and months for the reaction to occur, but you know, just to have the release is just wonderful. And I think this is a song that triggers a release. I mean, from, from my own listen to there's one song that I cannot listen to without uh, having, without welling up at the end, and that's Skeletons by Ricky Lee Jones. It's from the Pirates album, which I, I like. It's one of my favorite Ricky Lee Jones albums. And if you ever get a chance to listen to Skeletons, the lyric on it is absolutely brilliant. It's beautiful. It's the same way as I try and get a, it's a movie. Same way as I try and, 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 and work with lyrics. You know, it's a movie. You listen to it and the story just plays in your head and it's just so moving and so sad. Skeletons, Ricky Lee Jones, Pirates album. Check it out, right? Um, Mark, Billy, can you honestly with 100% certainty say this is your last album? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I've, I've done it. I, you know, I don't, you know, I remember meeting Keith Emerson once in, in, in a, it was actually after Tony Stratton Smith's funeral and it was kind of, I was a bit drunk. And um, and Mark Kelly was with me. And I went out and I said, well, why did you do Love Beach? You know, and I think that's a, a classic example. I hated that Love Beach album, you know, and um, and it was I loved the ELP, I, you know, I, I, I really liked the ELP. I lost the ELP a little bit, um, but I mean, um, but Love Beach, it was like, why did you do Love Beach? And I, I, again, it was it was the same with Marillion. It was kind of you know I was happy to leave after Clutch of the Straws, which was for me it was a high benchmark out there, you know, and it created more problems because people keep saying, well, what would have happened if you'd done another album? You know, and that's the way I want to do this with this album. I wanted to have it up there and go, what would he have done next? Rather than going out with Love Beach, you know? So. Um, Michael Mosher, when did you last listen to any of your Marillion albums? The only time I've ever listened to Marillion albums recently has been when the remasters have come in. You know, I listened to Script when it came out, which was interesting to listen to. And, um... It sounds to me quite dated, but I've got a completely different relationship with that album than what you have. You know, for you, your fans, you listen to music. With me, I created it, and when I hear that album, I have. I mean, my mind operates, and you know, like I get images just spring up in my mind. I mean, when I hear things, I, I see photographs, and that's how I think my memory works best. I mean, that's why I take a lot of shots with a Nikon, but why I take a lot of shots with camera because. It, they trigger things. I, I can, you know, and, and it's the same when I listen to the script or Fugazi or any of those albums. I remember what happened during that time, and I remember how that was written and and, and little stories and things. I can and, and you know, and it's part of my life. And and because of the way I write lyrics, you know, a lot of them are, are, are themselves kind of 
strange photographs of strange times in, in, in my life. So again, like I said, it's a completely different relationship when you're the writer or the performer, you know? Who's on backing vocals on, on Gardner Remembrance? Doris Brendel. The lovely wee Doris is on backing vocals. She does the whole album. Doris is like, really, she really shines on Velchmats. Really, really shines. And uh, her voice works just so well on, on my material. And and she's a great wee character to be about. And I love the wee lassie, you know. And um, she'll be on the tour with us. I mean, again, Doris was really gutted. I know... John Mitchell's actually been uh, mixing Doris's album in the in the last week, week or so. So she's got her album. But again, she's she's like me. I mean, you know, I mean, like me. And as far as she's got something else to kind of keep keep her together on the the other side. But I mean, Doris is like like us. I mean, desperate to get out on a stage and take something on the road. I mean, you know, it's going to be really strange because Velchmerz is coming out September the 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 twenty fifth. And I could be sitting for, I could be sitting for a year before I even play this album live, which is going to be really strange. So when we go out, you know, if Velchmerz becomes a big success, it's going to be really weird. Like, I mean, having booked gigs at certain sizes, etc. you know. Like, I remember when we, when, when, when we had Kaylee out with Marillion and... You know, in nineteen in nineteen eighty four, we were playing decent sized venues. You know, in Germany, and then in nineteen eighty five, when the album came out, we were playing decent sized venues. Like some of them a little bit up, some of them a bit the same. But then when Kaylee came out, Peter Rieger, who was a promoter at the time, was on the phone to John Arneson, the manager, and it was like suddenly the venues went up. We were on the road, getting told, "Oh, by the way, we've just moved up to the Megadome down the road." You know. And uh, that, was, that was a really strange experience. And you never know that's what might happen with Velchmats. We could be going out on a tour, you know, with a major album, and everybody's going like, you know, why is he playing this place? <laughs> Good evening, Homeforth. Oh, my battery's running low. Yeah. Okay. I switched up. Ah! Stop fucking plugged in. kids unplugged my computer back in Erding in a moment it's 22 fast approaching end of play Simone and I have been watching a lot of The Wire we're on series what series are we on now? three we're on series three now that's how much we've been watching it loving it to bits god this Erding is good Yeah, Stuart Evans loved the script package. It was quality. Yeah, it was good. I think I'm not blowing, <laughs> not blowing my trumpet here, but uh, Belchmatz is going to be better. It's uh, um, it's the, the packaging and the deluxe is just extraordinary. But again, it's what Mark and I said when we started the Belchmatz project. They said, okay, when we put the deluxe version together, it's got to be all singing, all dancing, absolutely. One of the things we, I want, we want people to talk about and go, that's an album, right? Uh, 
God rest Keith Emerson, Greg Lake, yeah. Absolutely. I said this, oh, anyway, let's go down there, two duck. Somewhere over the rainbow, Rush Shoba, Israel, Kamakawiwole. Oh, give me a break, is that a typing error? Somewhere over the rainbow, Israel, Kamakawiwole. Version gets me every time, every time. I don't know that one, I'll have to check that. But yeah, but there's the Tom Waits version of that as well, which is a killer. Uh, it's just some songs just like, oh man. And um, another one I love is, uh, um, what's it called, Wonderful World. <laughs> Steve Welsh, yes. Darius Stefanski, Bob Falk, Rockin' Park, Scott Degg. Any Tessa Niles memories? Yeah, I have. I've kind of forgotten about Tessa. I've not seen Tessa for a long, long time. Terry Mass, who's Doris? Doris Brendel, right? Check her out, Doris Brendel. Um, she's, uh, she's got her own band and she's been our support act, or my support act for the last uh, couple of tours. Great wee band, great people. Re really nice people to be about. And, uh, and like I said, Doris has got a fantastic voice. She worked a lot with Sam Brown and was actually, Doris was actually up I believe for the, she was up for the Floyd job at one time and I think Sam Brown got in front of her. So she's that calibre and the, the, her, her vocals on uh, on the Velschmerz album, I mean, they're right up there. You know, she deserves some recognition as a, as, as a backing vocalist as much as she deserves as a, an artist. Um, Yeah, the Dublin, yes, back in singing on Garden Remembrance, and the whole Velchmerz album is Doris Brendel. Um, Paul Gardner started. Paul Gardner started watching the wire. It's brilliant. Two's a bit, two's a bit weird and stuff, but it's like it's really cool. Uh, like I said, I'm, I didn't watch it. I just thought it was kind of. I thought it was another American prison stuff. Blah blah blah. blah. It gets you. It really gets you. Patrick Mannion, I just finished All The Wire. Uh, Claude Putvin, I don't know. Simona! It's, uh, what's for dinner time? Simona, what's for dinner today? Derek, homemade baguette. Well, you can come, come, come if you want. Hairdressers, right where we came in, the day we covered the Simona's hair is so long. It's like three months. Never known it this long. And it's got so bushy. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it has volume. So, uh, homemade baguette, garlic butter. You're off camera here. Garlic butter with herbs and. That's it. And chips and grilled tomatoes. So it's rump steak tonight? Yeah, and rump steak. And rump steak. Don't forget the rump steak. No. It's Friday night. It might be Friday. Fish and Friday, but for fish and steak and Friday. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, Liam's away down to the beach tonight. Socially distanced, of course, I'm wearing a mask. So they're away down. He's away down with his mates to some beach. And he slowly said, we won't be picking you up. Mate, you're, he was going to take the bike there. <laughs> it's great. I can see this because it's like he's away at the moment, right? But I gave him my bike, right? It's a, it's, I said, it's called a giant bike. It really is. The make is giant. I've got fish rides, a giant bike. <laughs> and um, yeah, this bike, and he was going back and forth to Harrington. And he was complaining every time. He goes, oh, this is so hard. It's like, it's a, 
it's a bike. I said, use the gears. I said, that's what I ride up and down all the time, having not ridden the bike for about two years, right? <laughs> use the gears, use the, use the gears, that'll help you get up the road. Right? And he, there was a puncture in the back wheel when he took it down and seemed like all the bearings had gone in the back wheel. So he's been cycling this bike about, <laughs> like two miles back in front of Harrington with no bearings on it. So, great leg muscles he's got though. Get some fit. <laughs> Uh, uh. Brendel, B-R-E-N-D-E-L, right? Like Grendel, but, but with a B in it. Uh, Esther Pujol Rodriguez, you just missed the dinner thing. It's, it's steak and chips tonight. Yeah. Line of Duty is good, Claude Potvin. Yep, I like Line of Duty. Um... Scott Donaldson, hi, John Wars, you just had lunch. <laughs> this is so international, this programme. Oh, this is what somebody else asked. Well, that was it. I asked, it was the, it was um, Daiso. Is that his name, Daiso? Taiso. Yeah. It was um, Kirsty and Robert, the dad, Robin. Robin Tyson said, what's that? That. The two kind of throws on the, the, the back of the couches. Um, they're from Chile. I think this one, this one's from Chile. One of them's, the, I think that one's definitely from Chile on the other side. And I think this is from Chile as well. And it's just, it's little things that I pick up on the road, you know, that are kind of special to me for the house, right? This house has kind of got lots of clutter in it, but it's good clutter. It's not valuable clutter by any stretch of the imagination, but it's rich in kind of fishy history. And there's loads of little stories attached to stuff. And maybe what I should do is it's kind of like, you know, guess whose house this is, you know? And I'll go around and I'll, I'll pick stuff up and I'll, I'll, I'll show you some bits and pieces. It's really cool. It's quarter two. What am I going to end with? Right. What am I going to end with? Uh, did the vinyl bit, blah, 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 blah. There was one that I thought I'd end with. I end with James' last story, right? Right. This might take actually like five, ten minutes. Somebody did a, a thing on the last last one. They sent a graph to, not a graph, but it was one of them little kind of, uh, it was a picture board and it was loads of little blocks. And it was basically an analysis of how um, I dealt with the questions and stuff here on Fishing Friday. And I had the talks about this, goes off to here, goes down here, da 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 da. And it went round and round and round and round. And at the end, it goes, I apologise. Right? <laughs> I was laughing at that. It's very true. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to take you in a wee run. Right? Dale Houskin says, he was talking about because I played Herb Alpert on the Tawana Brass a while back, right? And uh, Herb Alpert, he, he lives here in Malibu. I've heard Alper, Herb Alpert's supposed to be a really nice guy, right? One of the reasons, I'd like to meet Herb Alpert. He's, he's just one of those old school guys. But um, Herb Alpert, he was involved, uh, oh, come on, what's the label? A&M Records. A&M Records had the, uh, the, the, the trumpet and that was Herb Alpert's, Herb Alpert started all that. He started that whole, the, the label, the A&M label. And uh, because he wanted to be independent and things, that was the story I was told anyway. And uh, very talented. And then something happened to his lip. I heard someone happens. I'm, I'll find out more about this for next week. But James Last, right? James Last. My dad 
was really into James Last. Right? He had all the, all the albums, Non-Stop Christmas Dancing 12, Non-Stop Christmas Dancing 15, Don't Stop Dancing uh, 72, uh, We're Gonna Dance Again uh, 33. He had, he had most of the collection. Right? Couple of weird things. Right? Tamara, who was my first wife, her father was Ralph Novi. Ralph Novi was a saxophone player, right? And he was a very, very good saxophone player. I met him a couple of times. My long ago ex-wife and, and her father didn't really get on and they, they very rarely spoke. And anyway, that's another story. But I met him a couple of times and he played on stage with us and he came on and he did sax on Lavender. And somewhere in the film archive, I've got Ralph Novi playing sax. Very sadly, he died. He was a lovely guy. And he, he died of a heart attack quite a few years ago. But Ralph Novi, right, I didn't know this at the time, but Ralph Novi used to be one of the Horn Rangers for James Last, right? Ralph Novi won, uh, he won best saxophonist in Germany, I think it was like 64, 65 or something like that. He was well known in the, in, in the Berlin circles and the Hansa Studio circles. And I didn't really know this because when I got together with my first wife, I didn't meet the father for years and years, and it wasn't until later at all. And like I said, until he came on stage and played sax, I went, woof, this guy is a player, right? And, um, but then I found out that Ralph Novi played for James Last. And I was where, I'd been at an SES band, dude, and this, this was years and years ago, right? And Stevie Langer, who is a, a voice coach and a, a great singer, she's a fantastic singer, big belter. And Stevie Langer, uh, used to be married to Mutt Langer, right? Um, I didn't know anything about, apart from she's a great singer, she came from uh, Zimbabwe and stuff like that. And we were at this party and everybody's a wee bit wasted, right? And Tamara was there, I'm there, Stevie Langer's there, a couple other people there, and we're talking away and going blah, 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 right? And Stevie, I think it was, mentioned, I, I said to Stevie, I said, you know, who else? You know, who else have you kind of worked with? She said, she said oh, I used to work in the James Last band, right? And I'm going, you sung with James Last, right? And she's going, yeah, yeah, I sung with James Last, like blah, 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 that period. I said, yeah, this is, this is uh, you know, Tamara's dad used to be in the, be a Honor Ranger in the, the James Last band. And it was, uh, and Stevie, Stevie went, you know, what was his name? And I went, Ralph Novi. I just seen the blood drain from her face. And it turned out that Stevie Langer and Ralph were great friends back in the James last day, which was really quite strange. And Chris Thompson used to sing with the James Last Band. And the James Last Band had a great reputation because James, right, he was, he was a great arranger. I mean, you know, make no mistake about it. This guy was an amazing musician. He came out of the whole German radio band orchestra thing and, and, and went on, became the James Last thing, right? But he had this big village, literally, where he kept all his musicians and everybody stayed there for rehearsals and stuff like that. And everybody had their own little cottages and, and, and he had a, a great attitude towards his musicians as far as I'm aware, right? So anyway, my dad's a big James Last fan, so here we go. This is where us going round the roundels, right? So, Jersey. Hello, Jersey, because I know you're listening. Jersey, Simon. Simon, Jersey, hello. We go down to Jersey to play... Um, this Benson and Edges. Remember when cigarettes used to like 
used to sponsor events and they could put the name the Benson and Hedges Festival in, in the Channel Islands. And we went down to play a couple of gigs there. That's another story. But this one, my dad always used to take me down to Wembley and stuff to go see the Scotland England games and all the rest of it. But we'd never he'd never been out on the road with me. He'd never been he'd never come to a place to 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 to, to be at a gig, right? And I said to him, we're playing the Channel Islands. And John Kavanagh, who was a, a lovely dear friend of mine, who was my, uh, my first solo manager, he was working at EMI. He, was, he had left EMI and he was working for Benson and Hedges as a, um, an advisor. And he was helping bring this all together. And lo and behold, James Last was playing this Benson and Hedges festival. So we kept it all really, really quiet, right? So I told my dad, you're coming down for a weekend with us to the Channel Islands, right? Kept it absolutely stoom, right? And he got his golf clubs and stuff like that. I said, yeah, we've, we've, we've sorted that game of golf for you. Down and bring your golf clubs and we'll sort it all out. So it was like, da -da -da, there's my dad coming down. We all have to fly in together, right? So my dad's with the golf clubs and then there's all the band and the crew. Every one of us got pulled at customs, right? My dad with the golf clubs went walking through, nobody bothered touching them. And we actually thought at the time that if we had any drugs, we should have put them in my dad's golf bag, right? So my dad sails through, blah, blah, blah. That night, it's like, you know, he still has got no idea what's going on, right? He's got no idea James Lass is even playing, right? So he's already, his big thing is, he's gonna be playing golf the, the, the kind of the next day and he's more than happy, sweet as a nut, right? So I said to my dad, I said, dad, we're gonna go out tonight. I said, we're going to a gig. And he's going, oh, where are we gonna go? Where are we gonna go? I said, we're gladly going to see James Last. And he went, oh, James Last is fantastic. You got tickets? I said, yeah, we got tickets. We had like triple A's, full backstage stuff, right? Went to the gig and it was actually really good. You know, as a professional, looking at another professional on stage, you know, whether you got into the music or not, watching this band on stage was, it was highly impressive. And of course, my dad's there doing his bit, like, here we go, non-stop dancing 33, I've got that album. Here we go, oh, that Beatles song, that's great, you know? After the gig, I said, Dad, we're gonna go through, to come in, into the gig. And uh, backstage area, uh, Dad, this is James Last. And my dad's like, oh, James Last, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> like, oh, James, big fan of your music and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was blown away. Then we go back to the, we, we come at the backstage area, we go back to the hotel, and we have to be staying in this big hotel, and who's staying there but the James Last band, right? So my dad's up there, we're at the bar, my dad and I are like squashing it back at the bar, going, great, great, great. James Last walks in with his guys, and he's going, oh, it's James Last. Says, yeah, yeah, come on, Dad, come on, man. And John Cavanaugh was there, right? And he came across and uh, I said, Dad, I said, um, you're gonna be playing, uh, you're playing golf tomorrow, aren't you? So you have to be up quite early. He said, but we'll have to introduce you to your golfing partners. And we set it up for my dad to play golf with James Last and the, the, the Jersey golf pro, right? And my dad went out the next day and played golf with James Last. He was absolutely blown away. He was like a wicked, it was a brilliant, all the way to Jersey, fish gig, da da da, blah blah, a brilliant gig it was at the time. <laughs> and he played golf with James Last, and I've got photographs of my dad and James Last. <laughs> no, stop dancing, 56. And uh, my dad beat him. Unbelievable. I told you he was good. My dad actually beat James Last at golf, right? And that is a great wee story. To Live video interrupted. Really. And so, this is, I think, uh, the 14th show. 14 shows. 
and it's um Go away. I know who that was. Don't do this again. Right. It's Friday. It's Friday night. It's the weekend. Blah, blah, blah. Let's go and... Lockdown. It's Steak and Chips tonight. Thanks again for uh, watching and being part of it all. I know I don't see you, but you see me. I really appreciate you coming on here and you know, and it's nice to get that um, couple hours every Friday. So we hit another week. Next week, hopefully I'm gonna have vinyl and I'll play you a track off Weltschmerz from real vinyl, right? And I've got a lot to do. I've got all the words to do for the sleeve notes. I've got the credits, I've got the this, that, this, that, this, that, but this should be the final week of kind of preparation and everything else. So until next week, Take care and stay alive. Okay, good night. <laughs>